following message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Let's read this together. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I love that verse. Nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So, as I said before, this now is a third part of what we're speaking about, participation, and what it means to participate in the life of God. And really, uh, I am trusting this morning that as I share, the Holy Spirit will give me an explanation for what I'm saying. <laughs> because sometimes, it sounds a bit strange, but sometimes we'll say things by the Spirit that we don't understand with our natural mind. And that shouldn't be strange to us, really. As we're growing in the Spirit, it shouldn't be a strange experience that you will end up saying things that your natural mind can't really get its head around. Because by the Spirit, we're prophetic people. And so we have the mind of Christ. And so as we move by the Spirit, we'll end up saying things that we can't fully understand or explain ourselves. But the Holy Spirit brings that explanation. So I think the last time I spoke to you, I mentioned that more and more, I, I could find myself saying things that my Spirit says yes to, but my mind says, hang on a minute, you can't say that. Praise God. So we're going to make some of those statements again today. I'm going to look at the Word of God and trust that the Holy Spirit will show, show us actually what He means, what He means by what I say. <laughs> can you get your head around that? Praise God. We aren't people who can simply talk in our own understanding by ourselves. God has not left us to talk by ourselves. That's where we're given the Holy Spirit. It seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. So we speak now as a believer. You speak as a spiritual believer. You're not speaking as an I. You're speaking as an, as an us. So let me make this statement that I made a few weeks ago, and we'll look at it again. The gospel preached in the power of the Spirit does not ask men to produce the Christian life, but calls and equips them to participate in the life already given Christ. You know, and I, I've been saying to Nicola over the last few weeks, I've been thinking about this. This has been setting me free. This whole idea of participation has been lifting a great weight off me, you know. And I believe that we're connected body, soul, and spirit. When you get a revelation from your spirit into your soul as to how free you are, it affects the cells in your body. It affects the very cells in your body. I believe even the very cells in our body carry a weight sometimes. I was thinking this morning as we were singing that lovely refrain, Great art thou, Lord, you know. When astronauts go up to space, um, there's no gravity. And, and sometimes they can actually break bones when they come back down because the, the muscles waste away. There's actually no gravity. You know? It's almost like on the earth sometimes. There can be such a force pushing you down, you know. And the Holy Spirit is not a force pushing you down. He is the life of God within you lifting you up. His words lift, you know. So for whatever I'm saying this morning, if you leave here down, you didn't hear the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the lifter of our heads. Now, let's have a look at some differences. Let me just go over for five minutes what we said before. The difference between producing and participating. And we looked at two pictures before. Remember we looked at Adam in Genesis 2? And he was calling out the names of the animals. And it says whatever he called them, 
That's what they were, praise God. So Adam was not asked to produce creation. He was invited to participate by the spirits in the calling forth of that creation. Then we said the angel Gabriel came to Mary. The, the angel did not say, you will produce Christ. He said, you will bear Christ when the spirit comes. Isn't that beautiful? So God's not asking you or I to produce the Christian life by ourselves. He gives us a promise. When the wind comes, the wind will pick you up. The wind will do what you cannot do. The very spirit of God. Praise God. So I said that despite what you've heard in church all your life, God's not asking you to produce the Christian life, but to participate, to share in the life already given. Christ, praise God. So at his ascension, yes, Jesus did give his disciples a list of things to do. But very first thing in the list was, wait in Jerusalem. Do not move. Do not move until the Spirit comes. You see what he was saying? He's saying, yeah, I don't want you to do things for me. I want you to do everything with me. Ah, this is amazing, isn't it? You know, I think that when we come together, we more easily do things with God. Because you're all carrying the Spirit of God. So when I come alongside you, I'm with God. You know, I'm in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when you speak to me, you draw things out of me, you know. Uh, on Wednesday, I'm just thinking about this. Now, on Wednesday at the, at the uh, upper Zoom, at the Bible study, we looked at Acts 20, where Paul had spoken for six hours. He spoke for six hours. And he spoke so long, a young man fell out of a window. And it was the third story. And he, and he, and he got killed because he fell three stories. And Paul went down and brought him back to life. And then he preached for another six hours. And you're thinking, now, if I told you I was going to stand here for six hours, what would you think? <laughs> where's the window absolutely right praise God but I think it wasn't just a monologue see that was a dialogue and I think they were drawing that out of him you know because if you have to speak to your children Paul was leaving the next day actually and so he was like he was speaking to his children we'll come back to that in a minute actually talk about the love of the father there you know so we saw therefore that uh, the Lord says I'm not asking you to do one thing for me I'm asking you to do everything with me and when we actually fail to understand the difference between participating and producing, that's the reason why many of us as, as believers have such a shallow idea of church. Because if you think God is looking to you to produce a holy life, then you will see church as something you can use to produce a holy life. Like reading your Bible or praying or fasting. or doing. It's just something I can use to produce a holy life. But in fact... Have you noticed that there's a link between producing and using? If somebody says to me, I need to produce something, I'll look to use something to produce it. There's a very bad link between producing and using. Let me tell you what I mean. I have found in my life that if I start trying to produce a better life in my own strength, I will inevitably end up using people. So beware. If I turn up here on a Sunday morning, one Sunday, and say to you that God has told me that I need to produce a church of 500 people, I would run if I were you. <laughs> run in the opposite direction because if somebody's trying to produce something they will use people I remember John Bevere's wife Lisa Bevere you remember John Bevere Lisa Bevere once shared this that she was crying out to God one morning Lord I just want you to use me and the Holy Spirit immediately spoke to her and said Lisa has anybody ever used you yes what did it feel like didn't feel that good so that's right the Lord says I never use people like people use people. I conform people to my likeness. God's not looking to use you. Praise God. And so you don't have to use people to produce something. Praise God. It's so beautiful. No minister should use the church to produce something for God. 
And the church shouldn't use a minister either. You don't use your family, do you? You participate in the family. And generally you have to be with your family in order to participate in family life. So participation in the family begins with me in a high chair, doesn't it really? And it's all really about me receiving. But the heart of a father or a mother is for their children to grow up to participate in the family not just by taking, but by giving as well. That's real participation. And so that's why the Holy Spirit is given, that we would serve each other with love, which is a beautiful thing. But nobody can force that, and nobody can produce that. That just comes by the Spirit. Praise God. And so when you see people pouring out in love, you know, in fact, that the Spirit is growing up in them. Praise God. So the purpose of the church is not to produce better individuals. Anybody say amen to that? Not better individuals but to participate, to call people to participate in the life of God. And God's life is the life of a family. He's never had the life of an individual. And that's why when Jesus was questioned about his own power, how do you produce those miracles? He says, I don't produce anything. I participate in what my Father is already doing. It's not an I. Same with the Apostle Paul. Well, how do you have such a great life? I no longer live, he said. It's Christ who lives in me. In the life I live now, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So they had moved from an I life to an us life. I don't do anything for God. We do everything with God. We, the church, the body of Christ, we participate in the life of God. So because God has always been and always will be three persons. Can anybody say amen? Three persons sharing one life. Can you see that the life God calls people into is not the life of a holier I? but the death of the eye. I'll say that again. Because God's life has always been and always will be the life of three persons sharing one life, God cannot be calling you into the life of a holier eye, but into the death of the eye. That's a beautiful revelation. You know, Adam in, in the garden, uh, if you remember, I, I don't think Adam and Eve, Adam never thought of himself as an eye. You know, who remembers what Adam said when he saw Eve? There we go. What Adam was saying was, me. This is me. Isn't that beautiful? So he didn't have an I life. He didn't have a separate life. He didn't think of himself as a separate being. He saw himself as connected. He saw us. This is, this is me. This is me. Now, as a believer, I should be able to say, this is me. <laughs> this is me. Now, the devil came along and he planted a virus in Adam's software. Anybody, any computer folk here, okay? So your software as a believer is what you're believing, okay? So Adam planted, the devil planted a lie. He says, you can have a life all of your own, you know? You could produce the life of God. You don't need that. You just do this and this and this and eat from that tree, and you too could be like God. You hear what he's saying? You could produce by yourself. And as soon as Adam believed that, he fell in his being from us connected to I, a disconnected life. It was a fall of being, praise God. And that fall, that separation, he saw himself suddenly as separate from Eve. In fact, the first thing he did was blame Eve, didn't he? He couldn't have done that before. It wasn't my fault, it was her. Suddenly, her is not him. Do you see that? Suddenly it's not us, it's I, me, alone. That's the unholy trinity, praise God. I, me, alone. Suddenly it's all different. And that separation was more than just in his mind, it was in his spirit and in his body, because God had warned Adam, in eating of that tree, in dying you will die. That was the phrase used in the Greek, in dying you will die. Death is a separation. God was saying to Adam, 
Do that, and you will separate yourself in your mind. You will estrange yourself in your mind, body, and spirit. You will become into a separated life. Separated life is death. You know why? Because God is a source of life. To separate yourself from Him is to kill yourself. It's to estrange yourself. Praise God. And that's what happened. And so if the only antidote to death is life, then the only antidote to separation is union. And that's why God came. Adam disconnected himself, but he could not reconnect himself. Now, I'm going to say something very important today. You cannot reconnect yourself into the life of God. That puts far too much pressure on you and I. Despite what the church may have given you the impression of, with the language we use, you did not give yourself life by something you did. Even that beautiful prayer that you prayed, you did not birth yourself. It's not possible to do that. You cannot produce life yourself. No one in this building this morning give themselves life. Can you say amen to that? Has anybody here birthed themselves? <laughs> in the natural, that can't happen. No one births themselves. That's the scripture we began with. No man can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. Every one of us was fathered and mothered into life by the Spirit of, the, by the Spirit of God. And I want to tell you this morning, when you understand that, and I'm just scratching the surface of that, you know, it lifts such a big burden off your back. Because, in fact, to understand that it's a work of the Spirit, it actually it lifts such a burden off you because in thinking it was the strength of your devotion, it was the strength of your decision for God that caused you to be born again, that traps you in a self-conscious, self-centered life, introspective life, and people remain under that for years when they remain under teaching where so much emphasis is put on their devotion to God rather than his devotion to them. Where so much emphasis is put on your decision for Christ rather than his decision for you. Christ is God's decision for you. Christ is God's decision for you. When your hope is on his decision for you rather than your decision for him, you'll find yourself being purified. Because you find yourself living a less and less self-centered, selfish life. Because your vision isn't continually being pulled back to yourself through messages of, so, what are you going to do? Given God's done this for you, now what are you going to do? You see what that's done? It's pointing to you all the time. So only when your hope is on his decision for you, not your decision for him, suddenly you find that revelation that he's done it all purifies you from the self-centeredness, the selfish life. Even when you put a holy name on it, you're still trying to produce a holy life. You will use people. Anybody ever been used in church? Okay, don't put your hand up. Come on. Anybody ever used anybody? Come on. This is what happens now if we're lured into this idea that God's looking to you to produce something by yourself, you know, and everything will be blaming somebody else when you don't produce it. Praise God. Now, sometimes, in fact, the very language we use traps us into that self-centered, natural mindset, you know, and I know what we all mean when we said, I asked Jesus into my life. I say that too, but that's a terrible description of what happened. I asked Jesus into my life, my life. My life's the problem. It's not the solution. And, and my life's such a problem. God didn't come to enter my life and help my life, improve my life, clean up my life. He came to put my life to death. Because the my, me, myself, I life is the problem. That is death. He said, you don't want a life like that. You don't want an I life. Here's the life I'll give you, hidden with Christ and God. That's the us life. Take that life. 
participate in that life. Can you see that to participate in a shared life, you can't do that by yourself? Um, nobody can get married by themselves. <laughs> I needed Nicola to get married. Praise God. You and I, we can't have shared this life by ourselves. By the very definition of God's life, it's a shared life. He can't be asking you to produce this life. The angel never asked Mary to produce Christ. He said, listen, when the Spirit comes, you will bear forth the creation, the new creation. And that's what we're doing in our lives today. When the Spirit comes, praise God, up from above, this wind coming from the inside, we will bear forth these beautiful words, the new creation. No one in this room give themselves life. Did anybody here birth themselves? Put your hand up. Nobody. It's the same spiritually. Despite the distinct impression our church culture and language gives people, no one births themselves. No matter how sincerely you pray a prayer of repentance. Why? Because no man can say, Jesus Lord, except by the Spirit. Not one of us in the natural was born of ourselves. We're all born of another. So too, as Jesus explained to Nicodemus, just as flesh gives birth to flesh, so the Spirit gives birth to spirits. Just as you were born in the natural, so you must be born again in the Spirit. How do I do that? Nicodemus said to Jesus. How is a man able to be born again? Now, I'm always struck by Jesus' answer. Because for us, we're quick to give people a thousand and one things that they need to do in order to be born again. We love to give people things to do in order to be born again. But listen to the answer that Jesus gave Nicodemus. Praise God. He said to him, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Praise the Lord. That's amazing, isn't it? You see, I'm not speaking against the sinner's prayer. We've all said the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer is a wonderful aid to discipleship. It's wonderful to be able to give expression to what the Holy Spirit has shown you. But your prayer didn't move the wind. The wind moved you to pray that prayer. No man can say, Jesus is Lord, but by the Spirit. Just don't get the cart before the horse. You don't move the Spirit. The Spirit moved you. You couldn't have even said that prayer if the Spirit had not enabled you to say that prayer. Do you see how that lifts the burden off you? Because if you think otherwise, if you think that it was my diligence, my devotion, my wisdom, my effort that got me to say that prayer, to move God, to save me, then you're trapped for the rest of your life trying to move God. And that's where many believers have remained for years, hoping that their life this week would be good enough to move God. I've got good news for you. God moved. He moved to you. Speak. You speak after the Spirit and you can call up the wind. You speak to somebody. It's amazing. You speak to someone by the Spirit of God and we'll, we'll answer that question as to what that is in a moment. It calls forth in them the life, like Adam naming the animals. You have the power within you by the Spirit to call forth a new creation and bless that creation. You can speak words of life because you have the Spirit of God within you. You didn't move the Spirit by that prayer. The Spirit moved you to pray such a prayer. You see, Jesus is very careful not to give Nicodemus something to do. It's a very ambiguous answer, isn't it? Well, how must I be born again? I know if people said that to you and I, we'd, we'd explain to them what you need to do. I hope that by the grace of God and by the Spirit of God, we were tuned in enough to know what people needed to hear, you know? But it's really strange that Jesus did not give Nicodemus one thing to do. You know why? Because Nicodemus was an expert on doing. That's what he'd been doing all his life. Doing. Doing for God. Jesus was going to show him a different way. He said, Nicodemus, I want to show you something. You must become as a little child to enter the kingdom of God. You see, little children don't have a separate life by themselves. 
children that Jesus met, those little children, are totally dependent on the life of another. They're totally dependent on the words of their parents to enable them to participate in the life of the family. They don't have a life. No, no children off trying to produce a life by themselves. Ever seen a three-year-old on his way to work with a briefcase? There's no toddlers out there off trying to produce a life by themselves. And Jesus, that's you. You, you want to you operate in the kingdom? Stop trying to produce something. You'll only be more religious. And you'll only estrange people from the grace of God. Through the words of their parents, children take on an identity. And that identity gives them a higher quality of life. It's a beautiful thing. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Remember, we mentioned that scene in Genesis 2 where Adam is naming those animals. And every time he named an animal, he identified it. There was an impartation of identity. And with that impartation of identity, there came a higher quality of life, a new way of being, you know. And that's why Jesus promised his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you not knowing who your father is, not knowing who you are. Because you can't know who you are until you know until you know whose you are. You can't know who you are until you know whose you are. And you and I need to know who we are because we can't live in the fullness of the life of God until we know who we are. You know, and, I, and I know that's my testimony because for 28 years, you know, I had tried so hard to try and produce a life. I'd done 10 years of exams. I'd worked around the clock. I'd done all these things to try and produce a life. And by the age of 28, you know, I, I'd married Nicola. I was working for my father. We had our first child just born. And, and I was deeply disturbed that I, I just was not knowing life. Something in me was telling me that I could never be content until I knew who I was. And I could not know who I was until I knew whose I was, you know. And that was, I know now, that was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit prompted a question in me. Who are you? Who are you? And then he gave the answer. Praise God. And what really brought me under conviction at that time was living with Nicola, and she knew who she was. Even though all her doing had come to an end, she had lost her career, lost her health, lost her family, lost everything, but she knew who she was. And I could see that was life. And I wanted that life, you know. And, I, and I've learned something from that over the years, that if you really want to speak to the world, to bring the world into rest, to show the world that they're not at rest, be in rest yourself. Be in rest yourself. The church needs to enter into the rest of God before the world can see a difference between our lives and theirs. Praise God. And that's what the great evangelist D.L. Moody once said this. And I think it encapsulates the most effective evangelism in the world. He said this, The best way to show that a stick is crooked is not to argue about it or to spend time denouncing it, but to lay a straight stick alongside it. That's good, isn't it? So to see the truth take root in me that only God could bring my soul to rest, all Nicola had to do was to live in rest. And all you have to do in your family as well is to live in rest. Enter in, make every effort to enter into that rest. Stop making it about you. Because your family can know you're making it about you. We used to try and get people to come to this church for years, you know, or, or maybe witness to people. I used to go down to the surgery with a massive great Bible under my arm. And eventually my mother said to me one day, you, you just make me feel so condemned. Something in her knew that it was about me. It was all about me and my church. It wasn't about her. Interesting, isn't it? The dynamic of the Spirit. Stop trying to produce a holy life because that's turning you in on yourself. It's far too much about you, you know. Rejoice. I say again, rejoice that all has been done and you will live holier by accident than you ever could on purpose. 
because of the joy of the Lord is your strength, is his life. Those children are participating in life. It's the easiest thing in the world. We're all here concentrating. What do you got to do to be a Christian? They're just being. <laughs> now the Holy Spirit says, have a look at these children. Be. Stop doing. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, I'm not going to give you something to do. Hey, Holy Spirit's like the wind. Who knows? Who knows how to be born again? Nicodemus pulling his hair out. What? <laughs> but you see what he's doing? The last thing you need was something more to do. The last thing you need after 30 years of Christianity is something more to do. Praise God. The revelation of the Holy Spirit is that it's all done. Now, rejoice with me, the Father says. Participate in this beautiful life. Start by accepting whose you are. You belong. Get that. You belong. You belong to me. You're mine, praise the Lord. Let that sink in. Drink and eat that. Eat and drink that all the time. You belong to me. And you will find yourself participating in this beautiful life easier than you've ever thought in your life before, praise God. If the church wants the world to discover that this world cannot bring you into rest, then the best way is for the church to enter fully into her rest. Praise God. How exactly are people in the world meant to see that we are citizens of a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit, when the language the most hearers use is one of guilt, shame, and fear? How can we expect them to see our lives as in union with God, when instead they see our own Christian community in this nation as one of the most separated and divided in the world. Isn't that not strange? Flesh gives birth to flesh. Separation gives birth to separation. Revelation of union gives birth to union. Uh, I remember some time ago I felt the Lord give me a picture really of why many people in this nation struggle to really accept the gospel. And it was a picture of a man who was, had a house on top of a hill, a very steep hill. And one afternoon this man looked out his window and he watched a stranger climbed the hill to his house. And he watched the stranger for an hour until the stranger finally came to the door and rang the doorbell. And the man went out and opened his door. And the stranger couldn't say a word for about a minute because he was out of breath. And eventually he says, I'm just here to tell you that I have a potion that will enable you to fly. <laughs> and I'm selling it. Would you buy what that man's selling? After watching him struggling for an hour? Well, why do you think the community aren't buying what we're selling? Praise God. Enter into the light. Enter into your rest. Start a party. Start a party. Joy of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. That's all this is. We've entered into a party. Praise God. John Conway, we've entered into a party. Praise the Lord. It's the most beautiful party in the world. It's the joy of the Lord. And we just come here to celebrate. Praise God. And then we carry that sound of music and dancing into this world. Into a world that's trying to produce so hard. And people hear that sound and they're attracted by that sound. Praise God. Only the Spirit of God can fill a heart with the cry, Abba, Father. Only the light of the Spirit can banish the darkness of our orphanhood in Adam. When Adam looked to himself and his doing for life, like the prodigal son, he orphaned himself. He estranged himself from his father. Jesus made us a promise, I will not leave you as orphans. So let me finish by saying this. Religion and all its exhortations to produce a holy life for God will leave you so estranged from the love of the Father, so orphaned, so hungry for the intimacy that you were made for, that like the prodigal son, you can actually end up being envious of what this world is eating. Envious of the intimacy they have. Envious of the intimacy they have. Praise God. Because you're not experiencing that intimacy yourself. I'm shocked, you know, sometimes by the amount of uh, 
times I read of, of maybe uh, church ministers who've fallen into uh, a gross immorality of some reason, you know. But I, my heart goes out because I know exactly where that is. That's a hunger for intimacy. Because they're not getting intimacy in the message they're under because they've been asked for years to produce something. And there's no intimacy in that production by yourself. A religious mind, a mind darkened by the shadows of orphanhood, always struggles to accept the grace given, the life given by a loving father. Just as Jesus described the prodigal son coming home and attempting to say to the father, I'll produce for you. Give me a chance and I'll produce. Let me work for you and I'll produce what you need. Remember that? And the father says, oh my God, get my coat, get my shoes, get my ring. The son of mine doesn't know who he is. You see, in the kingdom of God, you don't produce to become something. You just are who you are by the grace of God. And everything that flows from your life flows from the revelation of who you are, not the revelation of what you need to do to become. Doing to become is religion. Being is by the grace of God. Being is the revelation of the Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. We think we need to produce a work called repentance, and if we do that well enough, then our reward will be permission to live in the Father's house. No, repentance is not a work to be produced. Repentance is the gift of God's Spirit that enables us to see that we have a father, not a manager, that we are his children, not his workers, that the prize is not a father's house. The prize is a father. The prize was never heaven, but the one who made heaven. See that by the Spirit, and you won't have to produce the life of God, for you will find yourself already participating in that life by grace through faith, and that not of yourself, but the gift of God. I think angels must stare in wonder at the multitudes of Christians who survive on such a weak and beggarly gospel that so estranges them from experiencing the intimacy of the love of their Father that they see nothing wrong in preaching the gospel as a message about reaching heaven rather than a message about being reached by a father, a loving father. The gospel is not a message about filling the heaven with orphans. It's about filling the earth with sons. The gospel is not a message about filling heaven with orphans, but about filling the earth with sons. Jesus never asked his disciples to pray, Father, let us go from earth to your kingdom in heaven. He said, rather, pray this, Father, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The gospel is not a message about where you could be one day if you produce for God. It is the revelation of who you are because of whose you are. And with it comes the power not to produce a life for yourself, but to participate in the life of the Son. The life of one who knows he has come from the Father, is going to the Father, and the Father has given all things into his hands. And such a person has been so delivered from self-consciousness and all the selfish fruit of a self-centered life that they no longer see the life of God as something to be grasped for. For they see that a servant must produce for his master, but a son inherits from his father. Did you see the difference? A servant must produce for his master, but a son inherits from his father. The gospel is not a how-to-produce message. Woo! The gospel is not a how-to-produce message. Praise God. It is the power in itself to participate in the very life given of God. It is the power of God unto salvation, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed, and revealed in Christ as a gift to be received, not a life to be achieved. The gospel is the proclamation of what God believes about you and me and every person we'll ever meet. He believes he loves us as only a parent can love a child. He believes that he loves us so much that he shared with us all he already has to give. For what more is there than the Son and the Spirit? He believes us to be his kin, his kind. 
He believes that the gospel of his grace, the revelation of his generosity as a loving father, is the power of God unto salvation. For through such a gospel comes the wind of the spirit, the spirit of adoption, by which men and women find themselves saying, My God, Abba, Daddy, Father, praise God. He believes that once people know they are the children of God, then they will see that if they are children, then they are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And heirs don't produce, heirs inherit. A servant must produce for his master, but a son inherits from his father. We were made, all of us were made to believe, and if we don't believe this, we'll believe something else. And that's really, really sad. It's a tragic thing to believe something other than what God believes about you. You know why? Because you can't believe anything better than what God believes about you. That's amazing. There is nothing you can believe in this world better than what God believes about you. And only by God's Spirit can we believe what God believes about us. No natural mind, no earthly mind has ever believed what God believes about us. And that's why they crucified Jesus. Because they looked at him eating and drinking and laughing and crying with sinners. And they said, this man can't be of God. If he knew what sort of people these were, he wouldn't even eat with them. He can't be of God. Because these people, these people aren't the God kind. They, with all their knowledge of Scripture, could not see these people as God saw them. You know why? Because when you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with the love of a father. And when you're filled with the love of a father, you speak to people as children, his children. That's the difference. And so to be filled with the love of the father is to be filled with the love for his children. And so when you speak to people that way, you speak differently. You don't ask people to produce. You endear children. You put your arms around them. You encourage them. You exhort them. You woo them. You bring them into the family. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what he did with you and I. Despite what you were told, he never asked you to produce this life. And if you keep thinking he will, you will run yourself into the ground and you'll use everybody around you to try and produce a holy life. And all that will cause in church and family and life is division, division, division. God says, I have given you everything so that you will never have to try and produce a life for yourself. You see what he's done? He's undid the lie that was sown to Adam. The lie given to Adam, you need to produce something yourself because he's not going to give it to you. There was Jesus on the cross undoing that lie, giving us everything, holding nothing back from us so we can start from there. We can start from beyond the grave. We can start from having everything we need. You have been blessed in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ, you know. And so to live as a Christian is to live from beyond death, it's to live from beyond death. It's not to live in fear of death, but to live beyond that, because you already died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And now, to speak from there is to prophesy. Now we can prophesy over each other. And this table really speaks of that. It speaks of participation. And if I remind you that when the father brought back the prodigal son, he laid a wonderful feast for him. And this table is a picture of that feast. It's a table of participation. The father never asked the son to produce a life to qualify him for this table. He gave him and invited him to the table. He said, come and participate in my life. Can you see? Now, one son estranged himself from the table. The elder son said, I'm not going in there to eat at that table. Why not? Because I've produced a better life than him. Why does he get to eat at that table? I've produced. He made it about producing. And the father came out to him and said, it's not about producing. It's not about what he hasn't produced or what you have produced. It's about my joy. Rejoice with me. I'm telling you, I've done everything necessary. And I invite you because what was lost is now found. What was dead is now alive. Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. Mm -hmm.